You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. Gosh, I've had entrepreneurs as guests, authors, musicians, people involved in political walks of life, all sorts of folks. I think this is the first guest I've had that's an entrepreneur, an author, and has her own TV show. I don't think I've had a guest that has their own TV show. And so it's absolutely the first, and I'm giddy. <laughs> Maury Renee, welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here, Mike. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thus, the question that you asked of me, is this video and or audio from a TV star? You would ask me that question because <laughs> you're used to having your guests and yourself on your TV program. I, on the other hand, am you know I, I'm readily willing to admit that this mug, this is a made for radio mug. So TV is just kind of out of the question. Gosh Almighty. How, how did we come to know each other? Is it a social media thing? I mean, it's when we're we're kind of in the same space, and and I'm at the age where sometimes I forget. So how did how did we come to know each other? I think it was pretty much through social media. I know my um, you were the mayor of my hometown while I was living there, and we knew a lot of the same people. And somehow through social media, we connected. And during my time as mayor, that's when you decided to move, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was a few years later. <laughs> well, let's let's start off with first of all, congratulations. Congratulations on your book. This and it's the second edition, Making God Number One in Your Business, Integrating Faith with Business Practices. Very well done, by the way. Congratulations on also your consulting business and your 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 TV show. God, you're busy. I am. <laughs> so how do you start your day? I mean, I mean, other than you know, in devotions and prayerful thought. I mean, how do you start your day with all these things on your plate? Well, I, I do start with devotions and the Bible and um a little meeting with God, but <laughs> I'm going to handle the day, of course. And I make sure to try to work out and get that protein shake in <laughs> because then I will have the energy that I need for the day. And I just keep on going. And I, I truly believe that I get the power and the strength from God because there are days when I look back, like on a Friday, I look back at the week and go, whoa, how did I get all that done? <laughs> I have no idea. but. I enjoy, but you know what? I love what I do. So it's not like work to me. That's a difference. Yeah. You mentioned uh, in what you just shared uh, some exercise that, and sometimes people forget the balance in terms of this, you know, the spiritual, the physical, um, eating habits, all, all of that. It, it, the combination of balance with regards to what we what I just outlined is critically important. And sometimes, at least I'm the same way as you, when I don't get them in the you know the typical proportion I'm used to, my day it's hard to say what's going to happen. Are I you agree. The same way? Are you the same way? Yes. Yes, I am. I've had days where somehow everything's gotten messed up. I wasn't able to do my normal routine and my day just didn't go as well as normal. Yeah. Before we get to your book, I, I'm so fascinated by your entrepreneurial walk. You've had some really remarkable success um, 
over the years. Where, where did this entrepreneurial bug that you have, where did that come from? Well, it could be uh, a little bit from my dad because he always said, if you work for yourself, you know, you're better off. But he had a couple of jobs where I wasn't treated very well by the boss. In fact, I was treated extremely bad or poorly. And I wasn't the only one. It wasn't just me that was being treated like this. It was, you know, any, anyone in these positions in the particular field that I was in. And one day I just decided, you know what? I want to prove to the world that you can own a business, treat your employees like human beings, treat them well, treat them actually even like family and still be successful and make good money and do well for the community. And I set out to do that. And I had a time frame. I knew that I could only handle about nine more months of this guy I was working for. And I was going to be gone. And I did. I started that business. And, you know, from that day forward, I always treated my employees like family. I was good to them. I I never acted like a boss. It was funny on Boss's Day, they would say, well, you know, happy Boss's Day and try to buy me something. I'm like, no, this is a team. I'm the team leader, but we're a team and we're like family. And I was very successful and I proved to, well, at least to myself (laughs) that it could be done, that you could treat people well and with respect and love on them and still be successful financially and your business could do well. Did that previous employer uh, ever reach out after you left and try to have a dialogue with you, number one. And and number two, does that person know how successful you became after your departure? They have no idea. We have never (laughs) spoken since. I I didn't even bother to, I, I don't, I'm one of those people. I don't look back. Yeah. You know, I just keep going forward. So I certainly didn't want to be that kind of person that went and rubbed anyone's face in it or anything like that. I, I wasn't going to go there. And he didn't reach out to me. I have no idea if he knew how successful I became or any of them there. But it didn't matter to me because I proved my point. And I also showed a lot, a lot of other people along the way that it could be done as well. And you know what? There are some businesses I know for a fact that followed that same course and proved the same thing. The first entrepreneurial effort after you left the previous employer, are they similar um, market spaces? Are they they similar industries or completely different? Completely different. Now that's fascinating to me. So you, you had this job. I don't know if it was a career yet, but you had this job and you weren't happy. And you decided I'm going to start my own business. And you even mentioned nine months. I can only I can only do this for nine more months. How did you decide the market that you were going to enter as you left your previous employment? How did how did you do that? Well, my job was a career and it was in the corporate world. And interestingly enough, I had started doing some construction work with my husband at the time. And I really enjoyed it. I found out that I was an excellent painter and I was an excellent businesswoman running an actual business. So I did start out part time, see how it would work. I knew that I needed to be able to make enough money to pay for the benefits I was getting at my corporate job, like health insurance, things like that. And, but I put my nose to the grindstone and I made it all happen. For example, I went to networking meetings in the morning before my job started. And at lunchtime, instead of eating, I would run to meet people and network. And uh, real quickly, nine months, I, I started building up this business to where I was able to just quit the job and go straight into this business. And I was making enough money to pay the insurance and pay all their our bills and everything. And yeah, it was a completely different industry. And I knew there was a need for it. I had checked that out. I knew that we were good at it. And I knew we could build something. And we most certainly did. 
And it was primarily in the trades with regards to the the housing business. Is that primarily where you where you were? Well, it, it started out as like painting and light construction and then building out basements and things like that. And it just kept growing and growing and it got rather large. And then we uh, bought a flooring store and then uh, bought another flooring store or started a, a flooring store after that. We sold one and then started one from scratch, but put together my um, construction company with the flooring store. I made one big business out of it, like a one uh, nonstop shop type place. And um, it just grew and grew. It was, it was awesome. I just had an incredible time with it. I had a lot of fun. It wasn't very long after I started these businesses that I wasn't even doing any of the work anymore. It was growing so quickly that I had to run the business, be in the store and stuff like that, and not actually out doing the work. But I really, I, I absolutely loved it. And I treated all the people that worked with me uh, like family, and we just had a great time. You know, it's it's interesting to be a woman in a, in that industry. You really have to prove yourself to the guys that work with you because um, some will try to pull the wool over your eyes and not do the job they should be doing, and then others um, they they want to know you know what you're doing and respect you. And once they figured out that I knew what I was talking about and I really knew this industry, I gained their respect, and they just. They did such an incredible job, and they they all told me that I was the greatest person they ever had to work with, and they were so grateful that I got all this business for them because most of my guys were subcontractors. I had a couple employees, and I had several employees in the store, and then I had a couple of guys that were employees. Most of them were subcontractors, but it didn't matter. Subcontractor employee, they were they were family to me, and they did an incredible job for my customers and. Um, had incredible respect for me. So it was, it was fun because we worked as a team and, and our teams were successful where in the career I was in before, it was very straight up who the boss was and who wasn't and how you were treated and the atmosphere and the environment was horrifying. And yet I created this atmosphere in my businesses that everybody loved. And I kept these people working with me for many, many years. I didn't have a big turnover. I had people with me for up to 20 years. That's a long time. And and I'm going to go back to something. You you, you opened the door, so I got to go, go back through that door. Um, a female in a largely predominantly male industry. Yep. And one where they were given to because of the, you know, the swagger of some of the the guys in trades, that just is part of the deal. Shame on me for saying it that way. You, you had to be kind of a loner at times, I would think, with regards to a female in this business, particularly in the part of the country where you're living, how long did it take you to be really comfortable or were you comfortable from from day one? Well, most of the my businesses were all in the D.C. area, in Northern Virginia. And that's an interesting area to work in. Um, that's a good question. You know, I was, I guess I was comfortable right away because I knew how to do the work. I I was, I, I knew what I was doing. You know, I had done my research and I learned from people who I knew were the best in the industry for the different things that I had done. And I always knew that if if you if you work hard enough, it's something you can, if it's something that's your calling, you should be doing it. You will do a good job. And I knew I was doing a good job. And so I never really worried about what other people thought as far as like the men in the industry. So I didn't feel like alone. I just, I never, I never went there. I, I you know, this is interesting, but you know, a lot of people, they go into business and they have a plan B. 
well, I never had plan B. <laughs> just, I'm not going into something. I just go for it. I know I got God on my side and I just go for it. And I never look at, at all those things. Ever since I became an entrepreneur, that's all I, that's all I've done is just go forward. And then I'm comfortable with my decisions and what I do. And I don't think about the what ifs and I don't think about other people, what they, what they think of me as far as being a woman in this industry or not. Mm. I just move forward and it works. (laughs) How many years have you been an entrepreneur? 30. How many years were you an employee for somebody else? See, I got to think. Sorry, I'm old. I have a lot of counting to do. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, by the way, this is living proof that people have said to me uh, as a podcaster, um, how do you decide what questions to ask? Well, first of all, I don't give questions to my guests in advance because I just want it real, real conversational. And uh, sometimes my question is a result of our interaction. And here I've just put someone on the spot where there was no preparation involved because that's the way I do the show. And I'm also giving you time now to add it up so you can (laughs) answer that question. (laughs) 12 years, 12 years. 12 years and 30. So 42 years have been in business, the majority of it, three quarters of it as, um, or roughly, uh, as an entrepreneur running soul. And when you left the employment, at least of that particular individual, you never turned back. You, you have stayed true to your desire to be, other than God, in charge of um your life and where you're going, what you're accomplished. Is that, is that fair statement? Oh, yes. Yes. No matter how hard it gets, I've had some really great, you want to talk about ups and downs. I've had them all. And yes, I'm, there's no, no turning back. There was never a plan B. So during now this 42 year period of time of uh, being engaged in enterprise, where in there did you decide I'm going to write a book. Not not when you wrote it, but when did you decide I'm going to write a book? Okay, well, my first couple of books were just business books, and I wrote them to help me out with my consulting business. And I did not in, aspire to be any kind of author or anything like that. But I went from a great point in my life to n- uh, not well, one of those, you know, up and then down. I went from a 21 year marriage and being wealthy and healthy and semi retired and all was well and living back in my hometown to within a short time being divorced. Um, the person that I sold my business to had uh, stopped paying and then filed bankruptcy and <laughs> a few other things happened. And then I got really sick and almost died. I was in the hospital and, um, had to have a surgery. They didn't know if I was going to make it or not. So literally I went from healthy, wealthy, uh, married to, you know, divorced, broke, and almost dead. <laughs> and so I knew there was a reason why I hadn't died. And I had a long talk with God. I'm like, okay, God, I know that I'm here for a reason. And I know that now that I have this, um, this surgery to recoup from, I'm really in trouble because I can't even work and I just got it deeper in debt. Few months later, I just kind of like threw my hands in the air and I said, Okay, I'm surrendering again. God, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? And all I got at that moment was title of a book, making God number one in your business. And at first I was so excited. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This the world needs this. This is going to be great. And I know business and this is just going to be so fun. And and then all of a sudden my heart stopped. I'm like, oh, but it has God in it. And like, I don't know. Um, I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to seminary school. Like, how am I going to write a book about God and it's going to be accurate? And I kind of freaked out. And long story short, I went through a whole lot of things trying to figure this out. And then one day I sat down at my laptop and I said, okay, God, I, I don't know what you really want me to do here. And I typed the title in 
And I have to tell you, I don't know exactly how to explain this because it's something that's not very easily easily explained. I sat at that laptop and had what I call a Holy Spirit download. The words just flowed through me to the laptop. Some of it was my past, um, you know, experiences that I had had that God had given me. And he reminded me of those. And he had me looking up scripture and stuff. But I would go back and read some of these um, pages and and even a couple of whole chapters and be like, where did that come from? All I knew where it came from, it came from God. But it was an amazing experience because I was so worried that I couldn't do this. But I kept reading, you know, like even Moses in the Bible, Moses said, you know, I, I don't speak well and and I can't do this. And God said, but I, I you know, I will take care and I will, I will be there. And he's always there. And I know that. And this just proved to me one more time that not only is he there, the Holy Spirit is definitely working with me. And I've seen changes in my life from the Holy Spirit, but this... This was um, an incredible experience, and the book was done. Um, it, it took a little while, but it should have taken a whole lot longer because it was just flowing through me. And after the book was done, then I then he said I needed to write a workbook so that people actually use the tools in the book and and do something with it. But as you can see, that wasn't my my aspiration to be an author or any of this. Uh, it all it all came from him. I just kept asking God, what do you want me to do? Why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, remember I went to, all the way to alone and broke and <laughs> like, hey, what's up? You know, my my business that I had um, started in my semi-retirement was a um, cabinet and kitchen design business. And I had a builder and then I had a few consulting clients. Well, one of my consulting clients was a temporary one and it was a high ticket item, but very temporary. And then um, the builder that I was working for quit building for a while. So I really literally, when I say I lost everything, like everything swims, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Now, at the time when I was going through all this, it didn't seem so great. But now looking back, it brought me closer to God. And he showed me my my second calling in life and my my most rewarding calling. I had some rewards in my heart from the other businesses that I own, but nothing like this one. This makes my heart happy to see the different changes, the positive impact that what he wrote through me and put on that laptop. <laughs> The positive impact that it has had on people's businesses, lives, communities has been an incredible journey, one like none other. And I'm so grateful. I'm going to pause here for a second and say something to folks that are listening. Because I understand what you just shared with me. And some people struggle with the concept of believers like we are putting their total trust and faith in someone you can't see. You know, we, we can't see them. And there's a reason we do. We've had experiences that lead us to understand there is something, and in our case, we happen to believe it's God. There is something far more powerful, far greater than we are. And there are times we see how his hand has orchestrated things in our life that are absolutely unexplainable. And some people will never get that. And I understand still, still you know, love everybody. And I understand how what we believe isn't for everyone. I get it. And it's been like that since the beginning of time. And it's going to be like that until the sun comes again. And that's just, just the way life is. But I would encourage people, don't judge others for what, what they believe. I, you know, there are plenty of people, whether it's political 
or spiritual or something else who had total different belief structures than me. Still love them. And I'd really tried not to judge them because I'm not qualified to be a judge. I'm I'm qualified barely to have an opinion about some, some things, right? Clearly never qualified to judge. Well, you know, what you just said, Maury, is somewhat analogous to Job. I mean, you had it all going on, and then you had nothing going on. <laughs> and it, yes. it, it didn't necessarily happen overnight, but all of a sudden you, had, you, you, were, you were living a pretty good life, and all of a sudden life kind of sucked. And maybe even kind of isn't the best way to say it. It was, it was pretty darn unpleasant. And so you turn to, but let me ask you this. How long have you been a believer? How long have you been a person that says, and not that faith doesn't, you know, faith comes and goes and it goes, it's cyclical. And sometimes we have great faith, sometimes we don't. But how, how long have you led your life, at least tried to lead your life in a way that's pleasing to God? Well, I grew up going to church every Sunday in a Christian family. And um, so I've always believed, I've always been a believer, no matter what. And then when I got to be in my um, early 20s, not that I so much I fell away from God, I just quit going to church and being connected and um, kind of realized something was missing in my life. Things weren't going all that great. Then I got back to going to church again, getting more connected with God trying different churches because I wanted to learn more. The church that I grew up in, there were things that I never learned there. Don't know why. I mean, I'm not blaming the church. Maybe it was me. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. Maybe I wasn't reading the Bible. But when, once I started learning about the Holy Spirit and how that can, you know, how he comes into play in our lives and what he's for, I got really excited. Like, I really want to know more. So in my, I'd say, Early 30s is when I really started to learn everything I could about the Holy Spirit and how he plays a role in my life and what that means. And that's when things just really started going great for me. But not not forever, because that's life. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't promise there's no trials and tribulations. (laughs) But there's a, a really good reason for that. You know, I think about this a lot. Like if all that had not happened to me, because I I really grew much closer to God when everything fell apart, of course. And I vowed to stay that close to him no matter what. But I wonder sometimes if things hadn't gotten that bad, would I be as close to him as I am now? Would I have this purpose? Well, I, I don't know how to... um I don't know what would have happened. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for more for where I'm at now. I have a ways to go before I become as wealthy as I was once, <laughs> but I don't care because the rewards are money isn't everything. Um, success isn't always met, in my opinion, is not measured just by money alone. It's measured by a lot of things. And I'm extremely successful in my opinion. Hmm. Before I get to your book, the the entrepreneurial opportunities that you had in your life. And you're still doing that, frankly. I mean, you're still an entrepreneur. When you looked for the place or the market or the opportunity that you wanted to pursue, how did you decide what it was going to be? Because, I mean, mean, the world's your oyster. It's all out there. How did you decide – in the spaces where you focus, that that was the one or the ones, because you had more than one opportunity. That's an interesting question. You know, when uh, the construction company just kind of started out of um, my ex-husband being really good at, at the work and I joined him and, with that and really enjoyed it. And then the the flooring store opportunities were pretty amazing because the first one came along, store was for sale. And I thought, wow, what a great addition to 
this construction company. This is really going to be wonderful. And then there were other businesses too. Like we had a car stereo shop. That was uh, my ex-husband's dream. So that's what he did for years while I was doing the construction company and flooring stores. And then when I, when we decided to move back to our hometown and sold off my business out on the East coast, I knew I needed to do something and I really didn't go by the area. What, what I didn't even look to see what it was that the area might need or not need. I didn't do a market analysis like most people do. I just did something that I felt I was really good at and loved to do. One of my callings. And that's when I decided to do the consulting. Well, the cabinet company, you know, and the, and the, um, kitchen design. I really, really love doing kitchen design. But the consulting, you know, that really came to me because I wanted people to have the opportunity to be, to have successful businesses like I did the way that I did it. I loved the method that I used to make it happen. And I wanted to share that with others. I have a real passion for small businesses. And I want everyone who has the entrepreneurial bug to to be able to have that dream come true. And even after they have to help them keep it and keep going and and keep going up. So I, I, that's the reason why I decided to do the consulting business because that is um, kind of a passion of mine. I still do a little bit of coaching and consulting now and then simply because if somebody comes to me and they want to really learn how to make God number one in their business or then my pay it for business method or one of those things, I want to help them. I want to help them get through it and and soar like they're supposed to. Making God number one in your business is the title of your book. Mm-hmm. And it's broken into four sections, clarity, talents, treasures, and stewardship, and then 16 chapters. And you share a lot of your your life stories, maybe not in total detail, but you share a lot of your life story in the book. Why should people make, let me back up and ask it a different way. Why should people that don't have God, number one, in their life, much less their business, why should they read this book? And why should they make God, number one, in their life and in their business? Well, God designed and created everything in the universe for his purpose, his plan, and his pleasure. Whether we like it or not, it's all about him. Great thing is, when you do make him number one in your life, you are given a choice. Well, you're given a choice regardless. When we leave this earth, we have two places we're going to go, heaven or hell. We have a choice. God gives us that choice because he doesn't want to force us to love him. He doesn't want to force us to give our life to him. Because how would that feel if you had to force somebody to love you? Would you really enjoy that love? Probably not. I know I wouldn't. I don't want to force anyone to love me. Hence my divorce, you know? <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, you just you can't force someone to love me. And even if I could have, it wouldn't have been right. That God doesn't want to do that. He wants us to do it voluntarily. And the rewards for that are enormous. Most of the people that, well, the people that I've actually gotten to talk to regarding the book, positive impacts that they've had on it, on their on their lives and businesses, like I have, has been serious joy and peace and decrease of stress. And rewards that are hard to explain. Not all rewards are monetary. I believe that giving your life and your business to God is just giving him back what he owns in the first place. You know, it's interesting. People talk about, um, well, I don't want to tithe. I don't want to give up my money. And and um, they complain about 10%. And here we have... Uh, a God who already owns everything. It already belongs to him. He's just allowing us to enjoy it while we're here on earth. 
and he only asks for like 10% back. And yet our government <laughs> usually takes what, two, three, four times that amount in taxes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I'm getting a good deal here with God. I don't know if people really pay attention to things like that, but I do. He, he, there's so much he can give us. Now, granted, there will be trials and tribulations and storms. There's always going to be that. But God will get you through them. He may not take it all away because there might be a learning lesson in there, or he might need you to lean stronger on him because he does say he's a jealous God and he wants us to um, put him first before anything else and lean on him. Give us, give him our cares and, and anxieties and everything. And by doing that, I mean, I can go through storms in my business and just be as calm as can be because I know that he's in control. I don't worry about it. I lay it all at his feet. I have this worry box, you know, and I put my worries in and say, okay, God, here you go. It's all yours. I'm not, I just can't, I can't deal with it. It's um, stressful. So here you go. And once I do that, there's just this weight off my shoulders. And because that weight's off my shoulders, I can think more clearly and I can move forward so much better with my business. And the people notice it too. Whether they know why or not doesn't matter. But when the light of God is shining through you in your business, people notice there's something different about you. They are more attracted to you as far as wanting to, they they want to do business with you. They are led to do business with you. And there's just, there's so many reasons, but that's just a few. Thanks for sharing that. Um, You know, the, the, the folks that don't have the same belief structure as, as we do, sometimes pass some judgment on those of us that do. And so, by the way, so do believers. Sometimes the worst people in terms of having a judgment, I have found are people that profess to be Christians. I, Very and, true. I, I'm going to pay price for probably just saying that. But there's some of the most judgmental people. And here's what I know. I ain't perfect, never have been, never will be. There was only one person that was, and we nailed him to the cross. Everybody else, we're not qualified because we're just not perfect. But I'm I'm much like you. And it was October of 1996 where I had uh, made the decision because of an event that day to turn my, my life around. And I will be the first to tell people my life has not been perfect. My life has not been without pain, has not been without sadness has not been without a huge disappointment because that's the way life works. And there's this thing called free will that he gave us. And as a result, there there are times in life where uh, either decisions that we've made or someone else has made a decision for us that there are going to be some uncomfortable experiences. Um. But that doesn't mean that he still isn't in charge. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want the best for us. But again, he gave us free will. And on this earth, there will be hardship. There will be challenges. Um, And he told us all about that. When in your book, I don't remember exactly the chapter, but you talk about serving others and you have this... um, these sub chapters or paragraphs about mentoring and asking and listening and being honest and being humble. I was really drawn to what you wrote because if it, whether someone's a believer or not, if we focused on those things of being a mentor, because so many people need someone to give them some guidance based on their experiences, because we don't have enough of them yet. Being willing to ask whether I'm going to ask permission to more, I, 
Would you mind if I ask you this? Because I, I want to learn something and then maybe, you know, respond and give some feedback. Sometimes asking for permission and asking questions is really helpful. But then you talked about the importance of listening. And I will say there are a lot of people that think they're good listeners. And sometimes I'm the worst listener, but I I have always, I shouldn't say I've always, over the last 30 years now, I've worked pretty hard at being a, an attentive listener because I, I want to listen for the purposes of learning, but I also want to listen to see what someone's pains might be. Because if I understand that, Maybe then I might be able to offer something that's meaningful. I might be able to find a way to help someone because we we all have pains. And you talk about it in your book. We all have pain because that's life. Life is full of pain and joy and sometimes more of one than, than the other. And then the being honest and humble. Um. Boy, if, a, if if we all could do a little bit better job of those five things, serving others would be a lot easier. And serving others, I think, would make this place a lot more palatable, a, a lot more joyful. Uh, and then we'd be doing his work, frankly, by, by helping others. Why did you focus? I went on too long there. I'm sorry. Why did you focus uh, in that chapter about those um, five tasks or qualities? What drove you to do that? Well, like I said, the Holy Spirit was driving force behind all of this. And he was telling me what to do. But, you know, you had asked earlier and I had forgotten to answer why should someone who is not a believer in God read this book? And as you were talking about some of the stuff in this in the book, it reminded me that the page forward business chapter is really for everyone. No matter what your belief is, most people believe that what goes around comes around, right? When you do good to others, it it comes back to you in some form or another. Doesn't mean and I I, I don't even want to stress with people. It's not a tit for tat thing. It's not like every good deed you put out there, you're going to get something back. You cannot look at it that way. So my favorite saying in the world is a cheerful giving heart equals success or a pure giving heart equals success. So whether you are a believer or not, if you follow the pay it forward business method in the last chapter, that's just something anybody can get behind. And I believe that's where those five things are that you were talking about, you know, mentorship, um, being humble, what it boils down to is just being kind, loving, loving everyone, being kind to them, doing the most, you know, serving people. Whether you're a Christian or not, when you serve people, majority of people, when you, when you serve someone, you're humble about it. You do get a good feeling in your heart when you see what it does for them how they respond, what happens in their life when you give to someone who doesn't have or when you help somebody in need. I think absolutely everyone can benefit from those things. Yeah, everyone should read the book. It doesn't matter at all what your belief structure is. You're going to find something very useful in this book, and I'm going to go to a page right now where I could say buy the book and go to this page, but I want to scratch the surface a little bit to kind of tease people. My dad, I've talked about this probably once or twice, maybe three times, and all the podcasts that we've done over the past almost two and a half years. My dad was a guy that believed it was really important on a somewhat of a regular basis, more than annually, typically, 
to take personal inventory, to find out what your strengths are and where are some areas that um, maybe could use a little work. He never talked a lot about focusing uh, a lot of time on weaknesses because some weaknesses, there's not a lot you can do about them other than lift up strengths that might overshadow some of those areas where we need some work. And I, I have areas where I need plenty of work. But you did a beautiful job when um, you were talking about whether it's your calling or not. And whether someone's going to do this for the spiritual side of their life or the other. And that sounds odd, but, you know, we have... We we have those of us that are strong believers. We are always trying to have our spiritual walk, but there's life, and you're living life too, right? Your first one that you listed, if it's your calling or not, in terms of what should I do with my life? What should I? What's my profession? What's my calling? Where should I be working? Where should I be investing time? Where should I work? Uh, I want to be as successful as, as Maury, and I want to work just half a day. Well, Maury would tell, tell you, just pick the first 12 hours of the day that you want to work, and you're going to work a half a day, and you're going to be <laughs> successful. But the first one you listed was, what makes you come alive? What's your passion? And I don't mean to make this sound so sophomoric. But that's really an important question. As people are, whatever your stage of life is, so let's say you're um, in high school trying to figure out what am I going to do at the end of May or end of June when I'm uh, when I graduate? What What's my calling? Because a lot of people don't know. They, they, they're just not sure what they're going to do. Even halfway through college, you, you've you've taken some of the you know, required courses and you have so many credits you still don't know what you want to do and even after you have graduated from college with a degree and some of them i don't even know why they make them available anymore because i don't know exactly what they can do for you in your life but all of a sudden you have this degree what should i do you're you're 10 years into your career and you're you're always wondering what should i this is an important question what is it in your life that when you get up in the morning before your feet hit the floor, you're excited, you're passionate about that. That that could it could make a lot of difference in your life. So in your concern, and I'm gonna go through one other or maybe two more questions, but the rest of them you have to buy the book. It's on page 72. And the name of the book again, Making God Number One. It's the second edition in your business, Maury, M-A-U-R-I, Renee, R-E-N-E. When you're working with your clients and you're talking about that particular inventory type question, but some of the, without sharing anything personal, what are some of the responses that you get when you're asking people about what is it that you're passionate about? Well, unfortunately, some people are not passionate about what they do. They picked, the, they chose the the job or the business that they're in for the wrong reasons. The ones who are in their calling, first of all, you can see on their face, they light up like the sun and they say things like, um, I absolutely love to make this change in someone's life had people in the health industry say that it makes them come alive when somebody has better health, when they, someone who gets up and walks that hasn't walked, you know, things like that. Just the passion of seeing something wonderful happen to another human being. And then there's some that are like, well, here's one of mine back in the day. I absolutely loved making people's homes and offices look beautiful. It was an instant gratification for me because as we are, well, not so instant. I mean, some jobs took a month to do, but you see this transformation and you see how happy the customer is. They have this beautiful new space. So whether it's something as little as that, that lights up your life, 
or seeing someone walk again who hasn't walked in a long time. Either way, it brings you alive in your heart. And I've seen it all. I've seen the whole gamut of it. And I've experienced part of that. And it's exciting. One of the other questions, and it's not unlike um, the advice my father gave me, is what are what are your strengths? What are your best skills? A lot of people don't know that. They for sure they think they know them, right? Right. How do you help your clients assess in a productive way what their strengths, best skills are? And and then you didn't list it, but do you, do you spend much time talking about uh, areas of, of, I always hate to use the word weakness, because we all have areas that don't shine as brightly as other parts of our life, right? And sometimes when you say weakness, that just sounds icky or condescending. So when you're working with your clients, how do you do that self-assessment task with them? Well, first of all, I think like Paul in the Bible where he talks about the weakness being the greatest thing because that's where Jesus' light shines through the most is our brokenness. I ask people, again, question number one, what brings them alive? Why? Why are they doing this in the first place? Because that can bring out your, your skills and talents. I ask them, what do they enjoy most about what they do? What do they feel like they have um, accomplishments? Like when you go back and you see what you have accomplished in your job or your business or anywhere in your life, that really helps show you your skills. For example, if you run a marathon and you win, obviously one of your talents is running. If you sell, uh, if you if you get say. You know, 90% of, of the people you talk to, you sell the product to. Obviously, sales, something that you have, it's a skill you have. You have to look back at all of your accomplishments and figure out where you have been successful in the past, where you have been, what you've enjoyed, what you feel you're good at. Some people, I think, have to dig deep, but on the surface, they don't necessarily. Um, think hard enough about what they might be good at. But the other thing is to ask other people. Now you got to be careful who you ask <laughs> because not everyone's going to give you a great honest answer, but ask people that you trust and respect. What is it that I'm good at? What do you see in me for talents and skills? What, what are my best traits in your opinion? And ask a lot of people that and write them all down and then see where you see the most. Like if you see a, two or three things coming from everyone, wow, those are some talents and skills you've really been blessed with. And then the rest kind of fall into place after that. Then you also have to look at all of those things people say you're great at. And you have to ask yourself, do you enjoy doing those things? Because just because you're good at it doesn't mean you love it and vice versa. Hmm. So you're looking um, to help people in your consulting business. Uh, general business type questions. How would you prefer, and we'll list this on MikeSeminary.com, how would you prefer people reach out to you, number one, and then where are social media places, including your website, you would like people to engage to learn more about you? My um, website is maurirene.com, M-A-U-R-I-R-E-N-E.com. And my email, my best email is maury at maurirene.com. My website has a little bit of information regarding my beliefs, my background. It's definitely a place where you can purchase my books. And it's maury at maurirene.com is the best place to reach out to me via email. 
And on social media, I'm definitely in LinkedIn. You see a lot of things about me there. And I have a small, a small following on Instagram, still trying to learn that. You know, if you haven't counted up and figured out my age by now, <laughs> you'll, you, you'll know I'm Instagram is kind of difficult for me for some reason. I'm on Facebook. <laughs> on Facebook, I have the Maury Renee page, but I also have Making God Number One in your business group on Facebook. I am working on turning that into a platform where people can get help. I'm making God number one in their business as they're going through the book and workbook. Why should people contact you? They want to have more joy and less stress. They are interested in leading people to Jesus one business at a time without turning their business into a pulpit or a church building. They are interested in kingdom building and making the world a better place. They want to do better in business. I know what their calling is, if they're in the right business or how they can improve and build on the foundation of their business. I would love for them to get a hold of me. And also, I do have a TV show, The Maury Renee Show, Making God Number One in Your Business. It's on Traverse TV, which is on Roku and Apple and Firestick. And if there's anyone out there that has read the book that would really like to share their journey, making God number one in their business and share a little bit about their business with the world, I would love for them to contact me and be a guest on my show. I'm, I'm going to make kind of a recommendation about why your book is important irrespective of someone's belief structure. And this has more to do with just where we're at culturally. And as I share this, it isn't to be judgmental about individuals. It's more maybe a statement of where we're at. I don't think I have shared this before. I mean, my senior year of high school, which was 1971-72, I don't, I don't hesitate to let people know that I'm kind of an old guy. And I went to a school in Fargo, North Dakota called Shanley. It's a Catholic school. In fact, from first grade through high school, I went through parochial school system. We had a tradition back then called Mini Week. We would dispense with, if I remember this exactly right, I hope I'm fairly close. We would dispense in the afternoon with the regular curriculum and insert, kind of based on student feedback, courses or things you could learn. And that's why it was called a Mini Week. You could learn how to bow hunt or how to wrestle or how to sing, how to play harmonica. And we had a class, how to learn to play volleyball. It was a two-day class. Really didn't need two days, but we used two days. The fellow that led the group, his name was Father Dennis Shue. And he said, you'll always remember my name if you wear like tennis shoes. So I, and he was a full of life, gregarious, great guy. Second day we come in, he's kind of down. He's, he, he's, uh, not, he's not on his typical game. I was asked, hey, Padre, what's up? And he went on, and I know I will be judged as I say this, and that's okay. He talks about... We have no idea what we've done. Last night, I saw this TV commercial. I won't mention the name of the business. They're still around. They're a big business. And remember, back then, there were three TV stations, commercial, ABC, NBC, CBS. And then there was public television. That was it. That, that was it. Big advertisers would buy 
was called a flight, I think. They'd buy a commercial on each network. And all of a sudden, everybody knew what they were selling or advertising. He talked about how he saw this woman for this company. Now, all she was wearing was a bra and panties. And we kind of laughed at him. And he said, we have no idea what we've done. Now, as I look back, I understand what he was thinking. If you stop and think, what, what, what would have happened if that night he saw and everyone saw, we don't run into him anymore, to my knowledge, if he would have seen the 60-minute special that Victoria's Secret used to run not too long ago. He's just talking about a 30-second TV commercial. Not too long after that, we had a 60-minute Victoria's Secret show that was, nobody said much about it, right? My point is, is that in 1972, you could never have gotten away with that. You could never, no one, no one in Washington, D.C., no one at the FCC, no one in broadcasting, no, almost no one would have said that was okay to watch a 60-minute promotional show where people were wearing almost nothing, right? So what's my point? Over time, we let so much become acceptable. And that impacts us. And that's what he was trying to say. We have no idea what we've done. So wh why is this book important? We're, so what's next for us, right? What, what next will be acceptable? What next will be an influence to us, to our kids, or in my case now, my grandson? What, what's part of culture that is acceptable whether we like it or not, that probably shouldn't be acceptable, but it's going to be. So somehow we need something that will give us focus, that will help us center and be able to say, this is good, this is healthy, this is what life is really all about. This book, in my opinion, or books like it, can be really helpful in maybe helping us set our or redirecting our course, giving us a direction that's far more healthy, far more beneficial, and and in my opinion, far more productive for us and those that we serve and those around us. That's why I think your book, uh, Maury, is important. Because we're at a point in time where, you know, what have we got to lose, right? Well, what have we got to lose by reading a book that says making God number one in your business? We have nothing to lose but a little bit of time. And in the process, we might learn something of great value. So I really thank you for writing your book, because I'm sure you also thought that, you know, in these times that we live in, there'll be some people that are this, they're not going to be a fan of this book, because that's just the way life is. And people are entitled to have that opinion. Absolutely. Judging us, no, that's a different thing. You're entitled to have your opinion. Thank you for writing the book. I, I wish you the best of success. So, so take the last couple of minutes and wrap this up. And why should people buy the book? Why should people contact you? And what's one more thing they should know about you, Maury? Thank you so much, Mike. You really nailed it. Everything you just said, it's what I've been thinking for the last couple of years. This is a long process. And we need to stop worrying about what people think and start thinking more about what God thinks. And we do need to make a change in our society. I believe that because business owners tend to be exposed to a lot more people, statistically speaking, than non-business owners. Not all. I mean, there are a few one-man shows that only have a few customers a year. The average business, the owner and their employees, they, they, they deal with a lot of people, other business owners, you know, vendors, subcontractors, employees, customers, people in the community. 
I see the and the next great, I guess, revival, if you will, coming through businesses because we do have exposure to so many more people. That is the movement that I really want to impress upon right now. The movement is for business owners who tend to reach a lot more people than a non-business owner to reach as many people as they can and plant seeds. God doesn't force us to love him and he doesn't want us to force anyone else. You know, we're not supposed to ram Jesus down anyone's throat, but we are supposed to, as a Christian, plant seeds. And that's all I'm asking for Christian business owners to do is read this book and see the tools of how to plant the seeds with your business. And don't be afraid because you're not, these, these tools aren't saying to make your business some sort of pulpit or church building or breaking the law of any kind. It's just about spreading him and kindness and making the world a better place. And I truly believe that even non-Christians could get so much out of this book as far as just how to run your business in a kind way, if nothing else, if you don't believe in God, but you do believe in you know being a good, kind business owner and you want to do great things for your employees, customers, and the community, this book really is for everyone. Maury, thanks for taking time to join me. Thanks for writing your book and all the things that you're doing. Appreciate you. Anything else you want to share before we wrap her up? No, just thanks so much for having me on. It's been such a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank right, you. Thanks so much. God bless. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.